you've heard me talk about it before, and I'm truly not joking. I'm being 100% genuine. I love Doc Spartan products. I use it every day. I talk about the Sex Panther beard bomb. That's literally what is in my beard right now. And I use all of the scrubs, my favorite being the coffee scrub, just in the shower, gives you the tingles, gives you the feels. I love it. And there's so many other great products. I use their deodorant. I've used their hand care when I've had tears. Just check them out. It's veteran owned, you know, guy that was in the military serving our country, Dale. I got to know him over the years and he's just a great dude. And I started buying his products and he reached out to me and said, hey, we want to support the show and we appreciate it. And I just want you guys to not only support Doc Spartan and Dale, but also reap the benefits. If you want to be sexy like me, then you want to check out Doc Spartan products, 15% off with the code best hour. That's best hour for 15% off anything at their website, docspartan.com. Check out the coffee scrub and definitely check out the beard balm. And ladies, there's stuff for you too. So head on over to docspartan.com, use the code best hour and save 15%. We are here because we are dedicated to helping the entire CrossFit community. Determined to elevate coaches, box owners, athletes, and everything in between, we believe that this mission will begin right here, right now. While this time and this goal begins with you, our hope is that you take this fire ignited within you and weave it into your own life with the same unrelenting passion to give those you have the privilege of coming in contact with the best hour of their day. Today's special episode features a guest speaker from our coaches development course. To learn more about this class and to sign up for it yourself, follow the link in our show notes. Well, let's not give it away. There's Frederico. Look at Frederico over there. He's fanboying out over this. He was the one who really, I told you this morning, Todd, I said, Frederico, you're done. Look at him. Look at him. <laughs> but Frederico, I've got bad news for you. Todd's not the special guest. Anasan was right. It's Rocky. Rocky <laughs> is the special guest. <laughs> All right. So... What do you want to say, Frederico? You want to say hi to your to your. your this is gonna be the best call. <laughs> See exactly. This is yeah. what I deal with, Todd. This is what I deal with. Hey, man. First call ever. He said, "You know, where's uh, where's Todd?" Thought he signed up, signed up for it was something with me, and then when he saw it was just you, he was probably disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm anyway, I'm still waiting for fun. All right, enough, Frederico. <laughs> Mute yourself, please. Mute yourself. Get out. <laughs> All right, so Todd was um, late August, Christian. So let me give him a brief introduction for the handful of you that don't know who Todd is. You've probably heard him on the podcast many times. Let me, let me see, Todd. Level four CrossFit coach, Flowmaster on the seminar staff, multi-time affiliate owner, uh, author for many CrossFit journal articles, and... Oh and just slightly less fit than me. So pretty, pretty. Not according to the uh, open scoreboard, leaderboard. <laughs> but. We'll see what, what 2021 holds. You guys ready? What did they announce? February 18th, did they say? Yeah, Luke, you excited for it? It's like, you know, it's like tomorrow. All right, Jersey Tony, you ready to chat today? We got Jersey, Todd. Ed. If you're unsure of someone's name, Todd, it's Tony on the call. So, you know, we have an hour of Todd's time. I'm going to go through the questions. There's, there's a bunch this week in the, in the Slack group. If we don't get to your question in the Slack group today, it's either because I didn't think Todd, I want to, I want to hit Todd with stuff that I know he, he'll, he has a great knowledge base on. Um, you know, I know Teresa had a question about buying a gym, et cetera, which of course Todd sold one. So maybe we can get to that. But if you have other questions in the group, I'll kind of moderate. I'll push them over to Todd. We'll do our best to get to as many as we can. If I do not get to your question, please, before we sign off, copy it and post it into the Slack group. All right, just so 
I don't want to ever miss your guys' questions. And, and, and I'll either answer in the Slack group or we'll hold it for next week. You good, guys? Any, any um, I don't want to say any questions, but I'm sure there are lots of questions. Todd, you ready? Ready. It's not rapid fire, but this was, I saw Laura's question, and I want to address this first because quite a few people had chimed in, and I think it's a really valid question. I think you'll have some great insight, Todd. So, Laura, let me see if Laura's on this call. Yeah, there she is. I see her waving. When I'm coaching a class, it's often that another coach who is actually personal training a client will jump in and correct or cue a member in my class. There's even been moments where I'm walking towards a member about to give them a cue and the coach intercepts simply because they are physically closer and coaches them. At first, I was super distraught and really thought my coaching sucked. I believed I was a terrible coach because I was missing things. But then I realized that it's not like I'm standing there doing nothing. Sometimes I'm coaching someone else, or sometimes I need a little longer to think over the correction, replay their movement in my head. I just find it discouraging and annoying, and it makes me wonder if it's giving the impression to the members that I'm not on my game. The coach not giving their client 100% attention. That's another story, thoughts, advice, or is this okay? Um, so I think, there's, I think there's a couple things to that. Um, the first thing that I think of is the fact that like when, when somebody's on the floor coaching, the goal should be for everybody in the class to um, be looking to that coach as the leader. And I know when, when I started to develop coaches um, at my gym after we had first opened, I would deliberately make a point to discuss with all the coaches, um, one, that when they were coaching, even if I was in the class, that any question that, a, that an athlete asked me, whether it was advice on what weight they should use or any of that kind of stuff, I wouldn't answer it and I'd direct it to the coach because I wanted a clear line of who was in charge in that class and during that time, regardless of who, whether I was around or any of our other coaches or any of that kind of stuff. So we were very um, thoughtful and, and, and intentional in that. Um, to make sure that we were pushing all the questions and ensuring that the person leading the class was the one that was given the corrections, was helping to scale and do all of that kind of stuff. Um, so we had team meetings where we discussed that and made sure that everybody was on the same page as far as that was concerned. Um, I also know and have been in a scenario where me as a coach, and I'm sure you guys all feel the same way, that like you're so passionate about doing this and you just simply want to help people that if you're standing there and you see somebody doing something wrong, it's like you can't help but saying something. And that means nothing or no disrespect to the other person coaching or whatever else is going on. It's just like, man, this is my thing. This is what I do. This is what I love to do. And so if I see something, I'm going to say something about it. Um, so I wouldn't be too caught up in the fact that if somebody is doing that, it's because there's no respect for you or they, they discount your coaching. I think it's probably more so of like they are just so passionate about it and so eager to do so that they want to jump in and do it. Um, and so that kind of leads to the last piece is like have confidence in yourself and as, as a coach. I remember when I first started, I was a little insecure as a coach. And so any and every time that an athlete wouldn't listen to my cue and make a correction, an athlete wouldn't um, listen to my recommendation for scaling. I took it personally and I took it as the fact that they didn't trust me or in me as a coach. Um, and that wasn't because that's what they're really thinking. It was more so because of my own personal insecurities. Once I became more aware of the fact that the things that they are doing has 100% to do with them personally and not me personally allowed me to get over that and realize that, all right, they're making this decision for their own reasons. Let me figure out what those reasons are. So it might be as simple as like having a conversation with that extra coach and be like, Hey man, what's going on? I, I see you're doing personal training. Sometimes you jump in and coach my, like coach some of my athletes. Am I missing something? Are you just seeing something and want to take care of it or what's going on? And I think once you kind of have that conversation, you'll probably be in a better position one to know why they're doing it. Probably not take it quite so personally and then figure out a way to address it as well. Yeah, I, I love it. Laura, does that help? Yeah, and it helps a lot. I think, I think it is a, a passion thing, but um, 
it's something that I'll, I'll bring up and just make sure that that's what it is. But yeah, it's really hard at first when you're developing as a coach and you take it personally, but I appreciate that. That was really helpful, Todd. Thank you. Cool. We have yeah. kind of a piggyback question. I just want to add one thing to what Todd said. I think he nailed it. But one, one thing I try to always remember, I, I hear it from Tim Ferriss a lot. He, it's attributed to somebody else, but he always says, don't attribute to malice what can be attributed to ignorance. And I like to rephrase it as don't attribute to malice what can be attributed to stupidity. You know, and, and the point being, it's easy to look at things like that person's being mean or they have bad intentions when they're probably just dumb, Laura. And, you know, or passionate, like Todd said. But let's piggyback off that, Todd, because Sim had a similar a question in, in, um, in similar vein. So he says, I had some questions regarding taking over another coach's classes, how members react, how to ease them into your class, et cetera, because they might be so used to another coach, they don't seem very open to this new coach all of a sudden. Sim, is Sim on here? Yep, I see Sim. Um, yep. Just look for the long name that you can't pronounce, Todd. That's Sim. Um, so your question to paraphrase is, hey, so-and-so coaches the 5 p.m. class for the last year. All of a sudden, I'm the new coach at 5 p.m. How do I get buy-in from the members? Is that a good summary of the question, Sim? Yep, that's it. What do you think, Todd? Yeah, I think, um, one, try to be authentic and genuine to who you are. Um, from there, do your best to try to connect with people. Um, sometimes I think we get so caught up in the X's and O's of actually coaching um, that we start just going through the process of coaching and we don't take the time to say, hey, what's up to people? Try to get to know them and understand them a little bit better. Um, and I think just trying to have a few one-off conversations with some of those, those athletes, whether it's right before class starts, right after class finishes, if it's during the warm-up as they're kind of doing something at their own pace, just check in, um, figure out who they are, how long they've been doing this for, if you don't know them at all, and that kind of stuff. Um, and then, then from there, try to provide, one, make the experience fun, right? It's, it, they need to enjoy it. I think that's going to provide some buy-in. And then try to stay consistent with the way that you handle things. You, I mean, you're going to be different as a coach than your other coach was because we're all different than each other. Um, but you want your style to be consistent from day to day. Um, whether they're not used to it at the beginning, as long as you're authentic and you're consistent and you try to make those connections with people, I think sooner or later they're going to buy into it and realize this is you. If you are trying to mimic this coaching style that the other person did, um, but that's not really who you are, then it's going to be probably tougher for them to buy in. So just be yourself. Give yourself a little bit of um, grace period to try to get to know people and do that by having some one-off conversations and some connections and then just be consistent with, with who you are and the way you do things. And um, more than likely, it's going to work out and they'll, they'll appreciate it or they'll find another class to go to if they don't, if they don't want to continue being in yours. So, and you'll so probably let me, attract other people to yours that want to be in your class. Let me, let me piggyback off of that with another question that we've discussed in the group, Todd. You know, you mentioned connecting with the class. You obviously coach, have coached a lot of class. You've traveled the world teaching seminars. What's, what's one way that you quickly connect with people? And what's one way you teach your coaching staff how to connect with people that's a little bit different but measurable? So, for example, I've told these guys to seek out a member's Ford, family, occupation, recreation, dreams, because it's tangible. Like, come back to me with those four things. We can measure that. What's one way you quickly connect with people and what's one way that you've encouraged your coaching staff to do it? Um, one thing that I try to do and what I talk to my, my, my coaches about is learn something new about your client. Like the, everybody in your class, every single time they're in there and it doesn't have to be like monumental, like mind blowing new information. Um, it can be as simple as like, Hey, what did you do this weekend? That's new to me because I didn't know what it was. But like every single time I'm coaching and interacting with somebody, I want to ask enough questions to, to learn something new about them. And that's what I encourage, you know, all of my coaches to do. Have that conversation and just figure something out. If you already know maybe what they do for work, you can ask a, a, a deeper question about how it's going or where it's leading. If you know about their family, you can always check in on 
you know, their wife or their kids or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. So it's not that tough just to learn one more thing. And, and if you see somebody three or four days a week and you're gaining at least one new piece of information on them, you know, within six months to a year, you're going to have a pretty deep relationship with them because of the amount of, of information you're going to know about them. Um, and that's going to lead yourself down this path to where you have all of these different reference points and these different things that you can talk to them about and connect with them on. Um, so that's only going to make it easier and easier for you to connect. Yeah. Last week we spoke about coaching small classes. Monday, I coached one person at the six o'clock class and I, this guy, Eric, I really got to know him and I needed, it was like four and five were crazy. I said to Eric, I go, Hey, are you married? I mean, I've been coaching him a couple months. He goes, well, yeah, my wife, but my wife's out of town. I was like, Hmm, that sounds interesting. I was like, I learned two things about you just now. <laughs> so I, I love it, Todd. Always, always learn one more thing. Do you remember the first time you heard Chuck Carswell give you yes. that advice? Yeah, yeah, do you remember the first time you heard him say that? No, not the first time I heard him say it. I've heard him say it so many times that I can't remember the first time. All right, let's get into a um, – well, first of all, let me follow up. Sim, does that – we answered your question suitably, Sim? Yeah, yeah. So because some of the members had already uh, messaged the head coach regarding this, uh, we have an application where you can see who the coach is who's taking the class. So as soon as the coach was changed, within two, three hours, a couple of members have messaged the head coach saying, uh, is the earlier coach not going to be taking the class? So that was a worry of mine. But yeah, I'll try, I'll try connecting with them a little more. A little less workout is fine for tomorrow, I guess. And, you know, and, and something Todd said, just to reiterate, is be you. And that's something both Todd and I were told many times on seminar. You know, be you. You can't be Todd. Todd certainly can't be me, et cetera. Thank All right, you. Todd, let's get uh, signed. Oh, you have, were you going to say something? Well, yeah, just one more thing to add on that is, as you guys know and are probably aware, like, people are resistant to change. I can't tell you how many times, like, I've had to fill in for somebody or somebody fills in for me and we don't go into our schedule beforehand and change the coach's names. And I don't think anything of it. And I don't think any of our members should care, but somebody comes in and they're like, Oh, aren't you coaching class? Well, your name was on there or vice versa. So it's something that like, it's a bigger deal to most people that come to class. And it might be something that we don't really think about, but just because they're resistant to change to begin with, it doesn't mean that they're not they're not going to be open to it over time. It's just, it's, you know, it's like anything else. You come home and your stuff's out of order where you're used to it being. Like, it's going to throw you off a little bit. Once you get used to the new arrangement, you'll probably end up liking it. Well, let me ask a question that was asked last week, and it's come up a few times. Because, Todd, you follow CrossFit.com at Drive. Do you sure. – does someone program the warm-ups – and it's consistent throughout the classes, or do you allow your coaching staff to create a new warm-up for their class? So I, so the way that it typically happens. Todd's got terrible Wi-Fi. It's frozen. We'll give him. He was, he was going to give a great answer. You guys aren't frozen, right? It's all Todd, right? His face, though. His face, though, yeah. Can somebody screenshot that and post it? Let me see if he's texting me. Uh, uh, well, he hasn't answered yet. But, it, yeah, he always blames on me. Here's what I've noticed. When I plug in, I don't know why, but the, my connection, it never freezes. When I use my Apple Buds, I don't know what it is. So I'm sure he'll hop back on. Let's, um, I'll, I'll handle a question or two while we're waiting for Todd. I see Miles, Miles' question. Is Miles on here? Yeah, he bounced off. I'll probably, okay, I see you, Miles. Let's, uh, and, and by the way, guys, I really love that you're all chiming in on these questions. They don't have to be completely reserved for these. We can dive deeper into them, but Anasan and Teresa, all you guys that are chiming in are great. Quick question. Just lately, we had complaints about music in the gym mostly that the tracks were getting repetitive and overplayed. In response to these complaints, the owners of the box 
have switched to an app called Mixcloud. It mainly plays mixes and mashups. Now it seems we have even more clients complaining. I felt like as soon as we responded to the criticism of the music, we then opened the door for everyone to do the same. I really don't care what is played. I just want everyone to be happy. Has anyone had similar happen and how did you handle it? Let's see. So I think Anasan summed it up perfectly. We're not DJs, we're coaches. And you know, also what you just nailed in that question itself, Miles, was you're not gonna make anyone happy. And the problem is as soon as you try to make one or two people happy, the rest of the people are upset that you're not making them happy. I think, I, I think music plays an important role in class. I know for me, we were talking about this last week, Music for me gives me energy for the coaching, which then, you know, translates to the class. Unfortunately for the classes, the music that gives me energy is music no one else wants to listen to. Uh, Def Leppard, Guns N' Roses, anybody? Um, but I do my best to, to do that during like the warm up, during maybe the strength portion. And then during the workout, I might ask one person, you know, what do you want, what do you want to listen to today and try to mix it up. But again, once the workout starts, I, I mean, you guys can vouch for this. You don't hear the music anyway, right? You guys even, like, the music's gone. We did three minutes of, yeah, and I love it, Laura. We did three minutes of burpees last night, and I was like, all right, Amy, play something really good for three. I couldn't tell you what she played right now, right? So, and, and I like what Laura's saying anyway. <laughs> we don't play reggae tropical music. It's interesting, Pablo. Um, but I, I like the idea of having... A theme maybe on some days. Let's see. I don't know. Todd's supposedly. I finally made it back. Did I? Oh, are you still on here? All right. We're talking about music, Todd. What, what do you guys? I, what do you? Go ahead. My opinion is it's it's. Here's the way I always look at it. For every song or style of music that one or two people like in my class, there's an equal number of people that hate it, and so I try to change the music and play a variety of it and keep something relatively like just neutral. I don't I like just not too extreme in any direction because I think it's kind of irrelevant as much as one person might really like it. Somebody else hates it. And so if I get too caught up in that or my coaches or anybody else gets too caught up in it, it's like, you're missing the point because I promise you somebody else doesn't like this. So I just try to provide as much of a variety as I can. I like that's chiming in there. Um, and, and Pablo, I, I was just about to say that, you know, I made a workout mix. It's on Spotify under my name somewhere called WAD, like seven years ago for a competition I threw. And I literally just put that on shuffle every day. And it's got 80s, it's got Rocky Four, you know, it's got modern. And, and when there's enough teens in the class, I'll be like, what, what's cool these days? And I know, they'll name people that I don't know who they are, you know? And I just throw, throw some of that in there. But yeah, I, I guess big picture what we're saying is it's irrelevant to what, the, to what you're doing. And worst case, I'd be like, hey, go buy yourself some Apple Buds and once the workout oh, starts. No way. Don't ever say that. Why not? Where's those in class, aren't you, Jay? You have to have your own music. When you have a running workout with 200 meter runs, you take your phone and your headphones with you on each 200. That's my. That's one of my biggest pet. But Dave Matthews on. Oh, the worst. By the way, Fern and I bonded on Dave Matthews the other day. That's the first thing we have in common. What would you? Who said it was the biggest pet peeve? Was that you, Luke? No, that was me. Uh, you ready? It drives me. If there, if it's anything less than a mile, it fires me up. I think, especially if if you have stuff inside of the gym, like if you do like three rounds of like. 400 or 800 meter run and like 15 toe to bar and something and people wear their headphones it fires me up because well i guess my follow-up to both of you would be who cares let people fucking have fun listen to dave matthews listen to country you're here to work out i get you like Jay, you can't Jay's, hear. he's arguing this because he's also the guy that brings his own barbell and clips <laughs> so, um, i bring the stubby bar the c70 yeah. in there brings his own bumper plates he's the one that pushes the new guy off of his pull-up bar because he has to use the same spot every time well there's only one low pull-up bar that is a problem so. yeah you have little kids when the little kids are in class you push them off so you can use it i kick those little kids right out the way all right let me ask you a sciencey question dodd from owen is owen on here whether he's not well we'll i'm sure he'll listen to this all right question in a squat 
if there is the most shear on the knee at 90 degrees, our lunges, let's say a walking lunge, worse for you than a full range of motion squat? And if so, would that not, I'm not sure, I don't think he's using it, would that not indicate unilateral variations of the squat? Just looking to kick the ball around and get some thoughts. We're in a bit of a lunging phase, working up to Veterans Day chat event. Um, well, if you think about the mechanics for the squat itself, in a position of, a, of an air squat where you're squatting off of both legs, the knee position is forward of the ankle towards the bottom of the squat, right? And so the knee being so far forward at 90 degrees or a little bit above, you're going to be relying primarily like on your quad and that's going to put more, it's not sheer force on the, on the, the knee where it's side to side, but it's more forward to back, um, more towards like the patella, whereas dropping below parallel um, recruits more of the hamstring and is going to provide equal forces. In a lunge, if you're doing that correctly, you're stepping far enough forward to where your knee stays stacked over your ankle. Um, and therefore, there's not the forces on your patella as your knee drives, like as it moves forward of your foot, as it would in a regular squat. Um, so the, the, the idea that a lunge and a um, squat to parallel would provide the same forces, I don't think is accurate. How, do you, how have you argued with someone who has said squatting below parallel is dangerous or bad for you? I don't argue with people on <laughs> ignorant topics. <laughs> I love it, but what, okay, what would you say? Someone's like, hey, tell me why it's not dangerous. Uh, I talk about needing to move our joints to the full range of motion and also talk about balancing the recruitment of the complete musculature around the knee. So talk about the hamstrings as well as the quads. Cool. All right, I asked the group if they have a question to put up their virtual hand. I'm not sure how to tell you how to do that, but clearly Matt figured it out. So um, let, that's great, Brady. That's a good point. I'm going to lower your hand, Matt, and unmute you. Oh, you just disappeared. Matt, unmute yourself and go ahead and ask Todd your question, please. Me, Matt, right? Not the other one? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the question I had was kind of pertains to staff training and, like, if you found a method uh, that worked best. So we've done things like, uh, you know, staff training once a month, it's a 90 minutes long or two hours even, depending. I didn't know if maybe, you know, it would be better when you're developing staff, teaching staff, um, you know, doing 30 minutes, a, you know, one day a week or some other methodology towards just teaching, you know, basic mechanics. I have some people, seven-person seven staff, some of them are full-time trainers, some of them are part-time. So... Didn't know if you had a methodology for doing that. So I think it's, it's almost similar in getting people to come into the gym in general. Like the thing that can provide the most consistency is going to be the most beneficial. So what I, what I found in, you know, when I've had seven coaches and some of them are full-time and some of them are part-time, the tough part is, is finding consistent time that everybody can show up for. Um, and so you can have all the, you know, a great plan in place, but if, you know, your newer tra trainers or less experienced trainers are typically the ones that probably coach the least, if they can't come because their schedule doesn't allow it, then it's, it's kind of irrelevant, right? So I, I would try to figure out what works best that you can get the majority of your staff there consistently. Um, so like, you know, I've done things from once a month to once a week to, to bi-weekly, and it kind of depends, um, usually depending more so on the, um, the experience of my coaching staff or the coaches specifically. Um, so I'd first just try to find what, what's a schedule that could, could be consistent for you. Um, also make it worth their time, not only in the development of their um, coaching, but also if, if at all possible, I mean, I've paid them for their time. They're technically, they're technically working for you. So see if you can, you know, pay them some sort of rate for being there for that time that will give them additional incentive potentially to show up. Um, 
And say you're in a scenario where you can't get everybody together at once, I think one of the valuable things that you could do with your more experienced coaches or the people that are full-time um, is maybe you meet with them on a weekly basis because clearly if this is their full-time job, they should have more capacity during the day to work with you and then give them the role of taking the information that you've provided to them and finding one-off times with the part-time coaches to work with them and try to you know pass that information on down to them so now they're not only learning from you but they're also taking that information and trying to teach it to somebody else which will in turn um, hopefully give them a, a deeper understanding and knowledge with that do you have a follow-up matt a little bit uh so that was all great that is exactly what we've done we pay our uh coaches for their training uh, as well as sending some seminar, but um, so assuming you got all that you just said in place, times to meet. Um, do you just? I was wondering maybe more specifically if there was a more effective way that you found people learned information, um, or the best way to uh, you know systematically get everyone up to speed. Our coaches are all very experienced. Even the part timers were fortunate in that aspect. Um, so now it's kind of taken our coaches from like just a level of like good competency to maybe yeah. like outstanding performance is in theory what we're shooting for but well then i would if that's the case if everybody's got a pretty solid baseline on things i would either make it um either more one-off specific like using my coach evaluations and where specific individuals perform to base the um to base the information for a, a training to, to work on that specific need with an individual, or I'd look for general trends um, in, in our coaching staff in general and start to focus on where you think in general your overall co coaching staff is lacking. Um, now, if, you, if there's not anything that's glaring and you just want to take them from like a really good level to an elite level, um, whenever I got to the point where it was like, all right, we're, we're pretty solid everywhere. Well, then I just started rotating through the, the six criteria that we cover in the, um, in the, in the uh, level two to focus on. So one meeting is going to, we're going to work on teaching. The next meeting we're going to work on seeing the next meeting. We're going to work on correcting the next meeting. We're going to work on presence and attitude. The next meeting we're going to work on group management. The next meeting we're going to work on demo. And so that way, you know, if, you're making it through all those things and you're coming up with different drills or, or ways to, to teach those specific traits. If everybody's improving in all those areas, well, then you're checking the box on what it takes to, to be an effective trainer. So I'd either look for specific needs based on what you're seeing through evaluations or through just being around the gym or just generally focus on those different six criteria. Does that add any more? Yeah, that, that's excellent. That's, I mean, instinctively, that's exactly what we've been doing and what I was thinking. But so I just wanted to ask to make sure I was on the right track and sounds like great. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Cool. Um, I see your hand, Matt. Let me go to Anasan first and then you'll be next, Matt. All right, cool. Um, my question is kind of related to like coach pay or maybe like uh, different opportunities as a coach. So I've been at a gym uh that's been open for about a year now um and i started coaching with them because of, like i wanted to grow with the gym too and uh so i was you know i'm getting paid like peanuts because they're a brand new gym and they're not really financially there yet and even now like especially with covid and everything i don't even know if they can like pay more but my question is um so i do i'm the only one that does personal training there at, at the gym um and that's like a, it's a pretty good deal there. They're giving me 80%. So I have kind of two questions at like how many members for gym, um, like per class, should you like begin to ask for more for the group class, uh, painting? Uh, and then the second question is like, because I'm like doing personal training is more worthwhile. Um, like, should there be like self-promotion for like, Hey, like, promoting in the gym like hey like I can do personal training for you if you guys are interested in that and stuff like that versus um kind of doing like a generic personal training promotion for the whole gym entirely by the way you're taking your level two this weekend right Amazon yeah 
taking it Halloween. So I'll be all dressed up. Like as me, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so here's what I'll tell you with the, um, the personal train, the promotion, I would encourage you to promote that as much as possible. And I, you know, I'd obviously run it, run it past the owners, but I got to assume that the more you personal train, even if they're only getting 20%, that's still more income for them that they're not getting if you don't do it. Yeah. Um, and the, the truth of the matter is, is that like, as far as group classes go, it's hard for me to tell you that once you go from eight people per class to 10 people per class, that elicits a, should elicit a raise for you because I don't know anything about their overhead or any of the rest of that kind of stuff. You also don't know if it's like, hey, well, you know, five people stopped coming to the morning classes and now they're coming to your afternoon classes. So he actually, like the gym owners, don't have any change in revenue. So <laughs> my biggest thing for anybody that's just coaching at a gym and looking for, for ways to generate more revenue for themselves is to do exactly what you're doing with the personal training is figure out ways to generate more revenues for the businesses. Cause it's like most of us as gym owners would love nothing more than to just give as much money to our coaches as we can. But a lot of times it's like, if people are just coaches are just showing up to coach classes that outside of retaining the members that we have, that doesn't generate a lot of new business and so it's hard for us to justify figuring out ways to pay you, you more unless something that you're doing is helping to bring in additional revenue. So I think if I'm in your shoes, I would you know, promote the personal training. I would try to focus on that. Um, and in turn, if that's making more money for the business, obviously it's gonna be making more money for you as well. And then have discussions with the, the gym owners around, hey, you know, I would love to help you grow this business. Here's my ideas on how to do that. If I'm able to accomplish these, these goals to grow our regular group classes too, you know, here's my thought on percentage of that or how I can get paid or something like that. If you can, if you can bring that information to them, I, I, I think that's only going to be more beneficial and it's going to be an easier yes for them. Um, cause otherwise I don't know where they're at and potentially their hands are tied, especially like you said, with COVID and yeah. all the rest of the stuff. My follow-up question would be, would you ever have, or would you ever allow coaches to have different personal training prices? Um, yes, I would let, like, I let people charge whatever they think they're worth and whatever they want to get. Right. So I would say absolutely. Yes. Cause I charge more for personal training than my newer clients do, or my newer coaches do, excuse me. So, yeah. Cool, thanks. Yep, Jay, do you have anything to add in any of that? No, I agree with you on, on all of that. Yeah, and I'm a big fan of letting coaches chase after their value. If, if the box owner is getting a percentage, it's just more money for them, the more you charge and the more you can generate. So, all right, let's do three last questions. We'll go Matt, then Miles, then Tony. All right, so Matt, you want to shoot your question at top? Yes. Um, so one thing, uh, I just want to make sure what I'm doing, what I'm saying is right, basically. Uh, I've been trying to be like really, really simple and specific with everything I'm doing, especially coaching. And I just talk about, let's say, newer athletes. Let's just use clean for an example. Is there such a thing as being too simple? Or like, let's just, I'm just going to try to tell how I do it. So if I'm going to teach the power clean, instead of going them, going with them to the progression of the pull, the shrug, and then the high pull, which usually happens, they do like reverse curl, bodybuilding style. And then I just be like, well, bring it from the hang to the shoulder and jump, like jump and bring the bar from the hang to the shoulder. And then if they put the bar forward, I'd be like, well, don't touch this PVC pipe. And if for any reason they do not get their elbows up, I'd be like, do that with the elbows up. So like, I just try to be really specific and save some time for me, especially with the class. Cause in the class, there's the RX athlete, the elite athlete, the intermediate athlete, and then there's a bunch of beginners. So I just try to like, uh, yeah, be specific, be specific with that. So my recommendation would be to always, always coach to the lowest common denominator, right? The, the lowest level person in the class. And the truth of the matter is, is like 
there are very few of us that are dealing with many elite athletes and um, therefore, and even the lead athletes still need to practice the, the, the mechanics of this stuff. So keeping a simple progression and going over that complete progression every single time. Now, whether you, you know, you jump and shrug and then you like go to the scarecrow position and, and then go to the shoulders for a power clean, like one more step, you can take it or leave it depending on the day and maybe switch it up depending on your audience. I don't think that additional thing is going to make or break your teaching one way or the other unless you're over explaining each of those things if you keep it simple like it's really only another 20 seconds to add the high pull before the clean or to take it away um so it sounds like you're doing the right thing by trying to keep it simple um by doing that and looking for everybody in the class all the skill levels like they're going to continue to improve their mechanics and that's what you want like I come from a background of playing baseball before I ever went and swung off a live pitching. I always hit off the tee first. And then I did like flips or soft toss. The same thing happens with the world's best hitters. So there's no reason why everybody in the class shouldn't have the PVC or the barbell in their hand going through at least like a three to five step progression in order to refine their mechanics before they start loading up the bar. So it sounds like you're doing, doing the right thing. Yeah, uh, thank you. Because yeah, that's that's what I try to do. Uh, if I see like a really beginner athlete in the class, I don't spend talking about the height pull because I know it's gonna mess up their understanding. They're not gonna do it right, and I'm gonna waste a whole lot of time with them. So I just be like, well, bring the bar from the hips to the shoulders, and if they do something wrong, I just go there and talk to to that specific person. But yeah, all right, thank you. Yeah, very cool, Miles. You ready? Yeah. Um, I've been looking at the schedule over the winter, and I've been de debating either taking my L2 or addressing a weakness of mine, which is Olympic weightlifting, and taking like the uh, Burjon uh, weightlifting course. I was just going to ask you, uh, what are the advantages or disadvantages of each? Uh, especially now that I've been taking this Ackerman course, I kind of feel like the L2 might be, you know, something I could put I on mean, the back I'm, burner for a while. I'm teaching you way more than the level two, so you're right. <laughs> Um, think, Todd? I know Todd's answer, but go ahead. Yeah, I mean, my answer is going to be the level two course because, like, the the Olympic stuff is great, but the thing that the thing that makes the level two so valuable is you're actually going to get feedback on your coaching. So there's, you know, you'll get a little bit of that on some tips and tools on how to how to coach the Olympic lifts a little bit better at the the Olympic lifting course. Um, but in the level two, I mean, you're going to go through drills to improve your teaching, your seeing, your correcting, and then you're actually going to get, you know, put on stage to coach and you're going to get feedback there. And I think that kind of feedback is, is, you know, invaluable. Like it's, it's just something that it's hard to get anywhere else. Whereas the ability to kind of dive into and learn the nuances of the Olympic lifts, like I feel like with enough dedication and time on YouTube and reading some articles, you can get the majority of the nuances. Now, that being said, those guys are world-class coaches and you're going to get more insight garnered from that, but you're not going to necessarily get feedback on what you do on a day-to-day -day basis, which is, which is coaching at a gym. So I, I think that's valuable. Now I'm probably biased as a instructor of the level two courses. So, um, but that's my opinion. I would maybe ask for the opinion of the, the rest of the, the people on the call that have done either both or one or the other. Well, you can simply look at the chat and you see the answer. The one more thing I would add to that, another layer, Miles, would be eventually, if you take your level three, you're going to get continuing ed for those specialty courses. You know, granted, that may be a year or two or more down the road, but at least that way, when you take the course, you're getting CEUs for them. In, in addition to the education. And also don't show up and call it the Bergeron Olympic lifting course. You'll get kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> Coach Bergner. Bergner. Uh, Sorry about that. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> so thanks. And, and I, I guess the, the final answer, there's probably no wrong answer. The fact that yeah. you're considering continuing education is puts you ahead of 99% of level one trainers out there. So I think that's important as well.
All right, Jersey Tony. I think it was Jersey Tony, right? What's the Jersey? Dirty Jersey Tony? That's it. All right. So I guess it's more of a question to everyone. Um, thinking about making a splash at the gym and then speaking with the owner, is the headache of putting together a competition worth doing it? Because the perfect for a summer type event. And I know that our place has potentially tried to do it, but have never gotten it off the ground. And I wanted to know, and I had started having a conversation and he's, he's about it. It's just, is it worth it? Todd, what's your, what's your goal? What are you trying to accomplish with the competition? So what we're trying, and this is what, and this stems from you've missed the first couple meetings, but my why um, of as why I'm doing this is making our growing it to be the premier Ocean County CrossFit facility to make a splash, then make it the southern Southern Jersey most. It, it just keep growing it and, and making it known in the area, and and having that cachet of having it. The the event. I sorry, you were breaking up. The to to have it known as the event or as your gym. Uh, just that my gym is associated with it, and it pretty much in the Ocean County area brings us to a level of prominence. I mean, because you obviously have the Asbury Park games that are in our area, so that's obviously well known. There, there's a couple other places in Monmouth County that hold very good um, events. But in Ocean County, there really isn't one that is out there. And with everything that's happened with COVID and everything like that, I know me personally, I mean, I signed up for the, um, the fitness experience in Texas just to do an online qualifier that just was released. So I know that it's out there and it, would, it, would, it could potentially be advantageous for us, but is it worth it? And that's for everyone, really because yeah, here's, there's a lot here's of that are on this call as well. Yeah, here's, here's my opinion on it. And I know Jay used to run the regional events up there, so he probably has more insight. Um, so number one, running events are a lot more work than you think of right off the bat if you've never done one before. Um, number two, the cost that goes into them is pretty significant to where even with entry fees, it's, it's hard to be terribly profitable. Now you can be profitable and as you grow, you can gain sponsorships within, which in turn will make you even more profitable, um, which could be great. But what I don't think an event will do is grow your gym specifically. So no one's going to join you, like go to your, well, I'm not gonna say no one. There might be some people that end up at your event that all of a sudden want to do CrossFit. They might be a, a, a spectator at your event, want to do CrossFit and live close to you and end up at your gym. But like you're essentially marketing to other CrossFitters that are outside of your area and they've already got gyms and they're probably not looking for years. So I don't think it's going to grow your gym. Now it might make your gym more marketable or well-known in the area, which you know down the road, if the event continues to grow, could make it the event itself more profit, profitable. Um, one of the things that the other thing that you consider with the amount of effort that goes into running an event, if you took that, if the goal is to grow your gym, if you took all the effort that goes into running an event and you put that into marketing and growing your gym, I think your gym is going to be better off and more profitable based on that, that effort. But it, same deal. It depends on what you want. If you want to run and own an event and make the event a cool thing, then, you know, it's just like an affiliate. It's a little bit of a labor of love. And in a short term period, the, 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 um, returns that you're going to get are probably going to be low. There's going to be greater returns as you guys get in the swing of things over time, I think can be great. But that's, I guess that's my two, that's my two cents there. Jay or anybody else. Whatever you yeah, think. Todd nailed it, Tony. I yeah, it's. I, I mean, I've gotten into this recently. Yeah, and I've gotten into this recently, and I and I know that I haven't. I haven't gotten into just. I don't know if it came off that way, but I didn't want to do this in the form of spoils and riches. 
or anything along those lines. That definitely wasn't one of the reasons for uh, doing it. I mean, I, I'm getting into this for the passion. So I didn't know uh, and if it came across that way about profit or anything like that. I, I don't want that to be. No. Well, whether, whether you're in it for profit or not, profit's got to be a part of it, right? If you, you work really hard for something and you lose money, you're just not going to be able to continue doing it, right? So I think we're all, I, I truly believe that everybody on this call is doing it because they're extremely passionate about doing this stuff, not, not because of the money involved with it. If that was the case, we'd all be doing something else, probably. And I just wanted to pick, Todd nailed it, Tony. Um, I, I used to run the regionals, which was kind of a different thing because I was getting paid to do it, and it was mostly my effort and energy. But we used to run three or four local comps a year, and just like Todd said, you're not really benefiting your box. You're exhausting your coaching staff. You're closing down your gym. Um, you're, you know, your staff takes a week or two to recover, and you're appealing to other other gyms. I, I would I would rather see you put that energy into into making your box better, developing your coaching staff, etc. I, I think it it would take years at this point to to make your event that profitable that it's worth it. And even even at that point, I don't think the profit is very substantial. And there's more and more competitions turning up every day. So I think your 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 better bet is to focus on your box. Yeah, I I wanted to chime in really fast. We uh at my gym we did, we haven't hosted we've never hosted a competition, but we did a fundraiser team marathon row thing to to raise money for a local nonprofit where the owners go to our gym as well. And I mean we had like I want to say like forty people. We had teams from our gym locally, whatever. Everybody, if you came from outside of the gym, you had to bring your own rower. So that was one thing too. But I mean. All the people that did it all did cross it at other gyms. There's another gym about 45 minutes away that puts on a pretty big competition every year where they get some big, like bigger local name athletes, whatever. It's super fun. But I mean, everybody goes there from other gyms. I don't know what their profit rate is like. I'm sure they make a good, a good profit off of that competition because they do that one and then a couple other ones. But it's just, it's a, it's just a, a, big, a big headache in my eyes. Um, I mean, Cross at Mayhem, they held – I went to the Mayhem comp this past January, and I went there last summer and met some people, and I was catching up with them, talking to them, and they told me that they that they had been shut down since the Wednesday before – like the Wednesday prior to, the, to that weekend of the competition. So the gym was shut down for five days. Like, that's all – I mean, it's just – most gyms are closed down for one day, but even for a gym that that's that big – I don't know. It just seems like a lot of hassle to me. Yeah, exactly what, you know, Todd said, you know, Tony, I would encourage you think about it. I don't think you should write this off this moment because we gave you that advice. I don't know if Tony can hear us at this point. He's frozen, but no, uh, yeah, I, I can. Okay. I can. Okay. You know, but I would just say, think, think about it a little more than just the idea that this is yeah. what's going to take your gym to the next level. That's all. And, um, there's there's certainly nothing wrong with it, but maybe rather than jumping off with a full competition, you do an in-house. I think in-houses are maybe a little bit more valuable or really promoting the open for six weeks or five weeks, whatever it is. You know, just focus on, focus on your members first. That's what I think Todd and I are both getting at. All right. Thank you, guys. Todd, you guys are welcome. Hey, Todd, do me a favor. We're, we're wrapping up. Can you please drop some knowledge, motivation, something for these guys. I mean, like you alluded to, you're on a call, they're on a call twice a week, they're chiming in, they're doing homework, they're you know, working in Slack. They're, they're, they're the people that want to get better at coaching. They're the next generation of seminar staff, box owners, you know, level three, level four coaches. Can you give them, here you go, Pablo. Pablo's excited, Sim's over there. What would, what, you know, if, if you were to wrap this up and get them fired up to be the best coach they can be, what would you say? Um, I would say like the, the, the two big things to focus on in my, in my opinion, one is really what we talked about earlier, as far as taking the time to really connect with your members and get to know them. It's, 
it's unbelievable how much you how how much you can learn about people just by asking one or two questions and really not doing it just to check a box but to really be interested in people and it's like those kind of connections are what makes this community so powerful and what makes your affiliate so powerful and what will make you successful as a gym owner or a coach or any of the rest of that stuff. Um, and then as far as the coaching is concerned, man, the more I learn about this and the more I experience it, the more I see and know it's just the simplest stuff is what works the most. Like know the nine foundational movements inside and out. What are the points of performance? What are the uh, teaching progressions? Um, what are the expected faults? What are a handful of cues to fix those faults? And with the programming, keep the workouts and the programming relatively simple so you have time to coach. If you get people doing the simple things well, they squat well, they deadlift well, they press well, I promise everything else is gonna fall in line. So just don't get caught up and, and chase all the shiny objects like I did when I started coaching and get too enamored with the things that seem sexy and cool. It's like, keep it to the simple stuff. The better you guys get with that and the more you connect with people, um, I think the more successful you're going to continue to be. Great advice, Todd. Okay, we'd be remiss if we didn't call on Federico one last time. Federico, did this live up to your dreams? Uh, I'd like to ask... A question to you yes. both. Oh, okay. But are you happy with this? You got to speak to Todd. Yes, yes I'm. I'm totally happy. Okay. <laughs> One. Miles, nice shirt. <laughs> we have the same <laughs> with Miles. That is driving his car. Okay. One question. In Italy, we are mm, gyms are closed again, and athletes are so disappointed and we are forced to work out outside and the weather is not accommodating. Um, what can I do to keep their mind focused on the workouts and to give them the best hour of their day or the best 45 minutes of their day because I really love them and I really want them to have the best hour of this day in this in this period where gyms are closed again and something like restaurants and other activities are closed again and have you got any tips any yeah well here's what i got for you is is number one you need to live and be the example that they're going that you are hoping for them to follow along So if you want them to do the daily workouts, you better be posting your scores and putting up video of you doing the workout. Um, and then from there, you need to make it as simple and easy for them to succeed with as possible, right? It's like on a normal day when the gyms are open, we've got 60 minutes worth of programming and people can do all kinds of stuff. Well, at home, they're not going to be motivated to do that, or at least that's not what I experienced when I went through, through the process of gym being closed. All I want to do is check the box, and that could be as much of like a five to 10 minute workout. And if you can make it super simple for them to execute and succeed with, whether they dial into your Zoom classes or whether they do it on their own, give them something that they can actually do. Because if they move for five or 10 minutes and they get their heart rate up and they sweat, and you've already shown them that you're doing it, so now they have the leadership in place to follow along with, I think that's going to go a long way as opposed to you know, trying to plan the perfect at-home workout and make sure that you're running enough Zoom classes and all that kind of stuff. It's like, man, give them something simple that they can actually accomplish and then it's going to be easy for them to do um, and then lead the way by, by being the example of what you want them to follow and, and, and hopefully they'll be inspired by you and continue to do that because um, I'm sure it's not lost on them on how, how much you care about them and how passionate about it than you are. Um, so... That, that's that's my advice for it. Thanks. Thanks, Todd. Yeah, man. All right. Well, thank you, Todd, very much for coming on the call. You gave us some great answers. Uh, we appreciate it. And, um, yeah, I think you just summed it up well for everything, whether it's the shutdown or, or being the best coach, all of your previous advice, but then ultimately lead by example. Right? We got to uh, – There's the demonstration piece of the six criteria, you know, whether it's 
hitting the same workouts, eating right, showing up, doing it in, you know, Italy on the streets, whatever it takes, lead by example. So if everybody wants to thank Todd on your way out, that's great. And um, yes. again, thank you guys all for showing up. Don't forget the homework. I've seen most of your whiteboard briefs that have posted it. You guys are doing great. Keep throwing those in there. And um, I look forward to seeing the rest of them. Thank you very much, Todd. Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys. Enjoyed it. So you never miss an episode of the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and on all major podcasting platforms at Best Hour of Their Day. Thank you so much for tuning in and for being a part of the best hour of our day. See you next time.